Black White Podcast. <laughs> Levi, uh, now that we're on air, <laughs> I, uh, you haven't seen Avengers because you you said you're not really into it. Yeah, it's true. And are you into Game of Thrones? I am not. You're not into Game of so Thrones. So this, this was a very uh, normal week for me in terms of uh, TV and movie watching, yeah. whereas for the rest of the world, it was monumental. Literally everyone else <laughs> our age. And I feel like I can't connect with our listeners if I don't talk about it, because everyone's talking about okay, it. Okay, you can talk about no, it. No, I can't talk about it alone, <laughs> so I'm not going <laughs> to talk about it. And it's possible people haven't seen it, so I That's don't want to. No spoilers. I don't want to spoil it just yet. Oh, wait, if we if we talk about it, it'd be in like three or four weeks. But you want everyone to know that you know what's up. If you want to talk about it, they can message you. You guys can talk about it. Yeah, I want everyone to know that uh, I have considered... Uh, doing a Game of Skin Tones episode. <laughs> <laughs> the Game of Tones. <laughs> and uh, what our um, photographer Avengers team would look like if all, you know, if the team was made up of uh, superhero photographers. Oh, man. You're taking this, like, chess concept we did and blowing it up yeah, and everything. I've thought about it quite a bit. But <laughs> since you don't watch this stuff, I can't do it. I'm like... Like, I'll just throw that idea okay, out of so, the window. Okay, so serious question, though. Last week, I think you mentioned that you had had a bride that didn't book you, mm-hmm. that you guys talked on the phone about like, two hours for, like, Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Did you have that follow-up call with her? No, we haven't talked, but I'll, I'll probably email her today. Because <laughs> yeah. I was going to watch it again last night, but we ended up just hanging out here. Um, was uh, it what you wanted it to be? The movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if you haven't watched it... You know how I said it was, it was going to beat yeah. Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, it, I mean, financially, it was Yeah, it crazy. has broken pretty much ever, it's every at what, record. It's billion? Yeah, I think it's at 1.4 almost right now. That's nuts. Which is ridiculous. In its opening weekend. And so it broke a billion uh, so quickly. And that's just the first weekend. I think Avatar, which is the first, the highest grossing film of all time, uh, it took them four to six weeks, I think. Or maybe it was a few, you know, like what's a normal run of a movie? In theaters, oh, yeah. I don't know. I would say probably like eight weeks to be. Yeah, I think it's in mainline mainline theaters. They got. I think they broke a certain record at like four weeks. You know, after people talked about it and the hype was built up, and so with this, I think it's going to be the same. I think it might not go to the same audience, but uh, it might not appeal to the same audience. But I think they will. People will watch this movie. Like people will hear about it and like, all right, I'm going to go see it. Like I think you should go see it. Like, I mean, I well, do you think I need to see that ones before I see it? Well, have you seen Infinity War? No. I've literally only seen the first Avengers movie. Okay. I think you can you could appreciate it either way, but you would really enjoy it more if you saw um if you saw Infinity War. Yeah, so it's cuz it's kind of a continuation. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say go watch Infinity War first, which it's on Netflix like you can Is it really? Yeah. Oh. A lot of them are like you can watch some of the Iron Man. I've, li- I've never seen the Iron Man, Iron Man movie. I'm, so how do you know you don't like it? I'm not saying I don't like it. I just feel like when I have seen movies, I just been more or less bored, or I'd rather watch something that's more interesting. Like that to me is more uh, realistic. Because I feel like I've seen like all the Spider Man movies and stuff like that, and all the Batman movies, and like those are superheroes I grew up with as a kid. And since I didn't really grow up with a ton of like Marvel superheroes, really, it feels like it's like, oh, I don't really know the backstory. I don't have an emotional connection to it necessarily. It's interesting that you say that uh, because what I think is so amazing about this, and maybe I said this the last time we talked about it, is that the, the people that are like 16 
right now watching this film, this is all they've grown up with. That's true. It's yeah. Avengers, you know, Iron Man and, you know, Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy, all those movies. Uh, and so... I have seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, both first and second one. Did you like those? Yeah, I did like those. Oh, well, you know, all those come together in these two movies. Yeah. So it's like... Uh, I mean, it's not like I'm like anti Avengers. It's just like, yeah, I just haven't yeah. really gotten around to it. No, I, I hear you. No, it's it's definitely just fun side culture, but uh, yeah, I you know I I really appreciate them. I, I think they're just so it's just a fun thing. It's just like you know, like the girl at the end of Infinity Wars, who she was weeping and sobbing. This like sixteen year old girl because this is like her whole life of movies, you know, and she's watching it unfold. And so I, w- I know that she, I haven't, obviously I didn't see her in the theater when I was watching this last movie, but at the end of um, the first of the Infinity War, um, it was just like, you could tell how moved she was because that's who she grew up with. But yeah. you're right. The Avengers are like, compared to like X-Men and Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, the, the Avengers are kind of, it's kind of a B comic book. Like right. it wasn't really that great. When we were growing up, you don't ever, you don't, you didn't really hear about the Avengers that much. Maybe the TV show, but yeah. it was still a little bit after we were, you know, X Men was like the one, Batman, Spider Man, you know. Yeah, those are like the flagship things. I feel like everything. I do feel like unless you were into comics, then you didn't really know about these auxiliary characters as, as much. Like obviously, like you knew about like Green Lantern and things like that too and whatnot. But I also felt like those are more like if you're into the comics, you knew the stuff. But I also like the comics is like a whole other realm. I mean, the comics are just like so deep. There's so much, so many worlds inside of comic books that it's like I don't, I feel like I don't even know where to begin. So I ended up not reading the comics because of that. I felt like overwhelmed by how much story there was to, to roll yeah. with. I do like, um, I feel like when you start talking about Avengers movies, there's always, uh, or just any comic book movie, there's always like a bigger nerd in the room, That's except true. for this moment right now. Well, you know, like, there's always a bigger nerd who's like, well, in the comics, let me tell you exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that didn't happen in the comics. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, bigger nerd, leave me alone. I just want to enjoy the movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's funny. I, Not, for, for those people, I'm like, why do you even go to the movie? I feel like they'll never live up to your expectations. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure they still enjoy it. They just have to. You know, like, like I said, let somebody know. Or it's the like, book person. Like they're, they're the vegan of comic book world. Ooh, the <laughs> Wait, you know what's funny? Uh, a few a few months ago on the pod, you were like, you said this random off comment. You were like, I think this. You said I think that in the future, uh, people won't eat meat. Yeah, that's you remember true. saying that? I just, yeah. Okay. What? What? I've always thought about it. I was like, why did Levi say that? Like, do you really think that in the future people will eat me? I do. I, okay. Uh, why do you think this? <laughs> um, well, for, I should clarify because I eat meat. I'm not saying that I'm by any means different or at all. Um, but I do think that environmentally, meat is actually one of the most unsustainable things that you can do for the earth. Um, that the, because of, and there's a couple of different reasons for this. One is that, um, we are deforesting more and more land to create more space for cattle to roam. And then we slaughter the cattle, but that also includes it in, uh, contributes to like greenhouse emissions as well too. Um, but also there is a, 
in China of the past 25, 30 years, there's also been a very large growing middle class that has emerged. And in some of the, and this is from based on an article I read um, in London a few years ago, and I was I was traveling through there, and I thought it was really fascinating. And this is one what their author had said, and that because you know the, the the middle class in China is growing, which also means that the the meat consumption of that middle class is also growing, which means that there's a, a bigger demand than ever on meat. Um, and this article was particularly talking about um, that they were trying to create like test tube beef, trying to grow beef like. Um, using that, yeah. using real like using the actual like using an actual cow like I don't, I don't want I'm just gonna butcher it so whatever it doesn't matter using actual cow like organs DNA whatever this is they can make basically make is ten times as much meat from one cow using like a test tube like ex, like um, like auxiliary piece to that as it could from just one cow in the future that's horrible um, it's crazy but all I have to say is it was this thing like oh if we do continue on the, on the road of being more conservative with the climate in terms of like protecting the climate, um, protecting the earth, et cetera. It seems like the, the de facto moves would be to consume less meat over time, which to me seems like, Oh yeah. And probably a, a long period of time. I can see that most of people would move to a meatless or very low meat diet. Um, if we ever do get serious about climate change, I guess is the, Oh, okay. That's I, I think see. kind that's of like the preliminary thing. Like I, I think over time, as like it becomes more mainline, to be like, yeah, we have to take care of the earth. Um, that meat consumption will go down. Yeah, as a byproduct of that kind of happening. But until that actually starts happening, I don't even think that that change will really start happening until m- there's a much bigger push um, from many more countries, especially like our country, to like deal with climate change. Um, right. So, yeah. um, so I, I do believe that. I don't, I'm not saying I'm currently practicing that. Right, uh, right. But you're saying like as do, a whole. I it, think as a whole, that'd be a prediction of mine. It's like in 100 years from now, 200 years from now, people look back like, yeah, I can't believe people used to eat that much meat. Yeah. Um, I think also just, it also goes to like factory farming. Like factory farming is crazy. And it's been funny because going through, or funny is probably the wrong word, but it's been interesting because Hillary going through school, like she's going through school right now in culinary school and nutritional school in particular. Um I'm learning through her that there is so much stuff out there that is allowed to be passed um, under words like free range or organic that would never, like if people knew what that actually meant, um, would never be supportive of that. But I think that we've had this factory farming movement that has allowed us to put like buzzwords on things that aren't actually realistic. And so I think if people actually knew where their food came from and what it looked like to grow that food, um, whether produce or animals, I think that would also... Um, change people's minds about what, how much they want to consume, or where they want to get their food from. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's this. Uh, this is really depressing. Yeah, um, is, food's depressing, uh, man. Yeah, no. That's, uh, that's the takeaway that I've taken from Hillary's nutritional classes: is that food is depressing. Bread isn't depressing. Bread's it's not depressing. It's actually, on the rise. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I heard this. Uh, I heard that there's this thing. Out there called the Lone Star Tick. Have you heard of this? No. Um, is it from Texas? I, I imagine it's in the south or in the southeast, which is wild. Uh, but once you get bitten by oh, this tick, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have heard about it? Yes, I heard you, an NPR thing on this. It's so wild that you can't eat, you can't digest certain meats. Like yes. your body can't break it down. Yeah. What the heck? That is insane. It's the craziest thing I've ever yeah, heard. I, uh, did you hear about NPR? Did you read an article on uh, it? No, I, f- I think um, one of my vegetarian friends oh, is okay. <laughs> spreading the news and the tick <laughs> <laughs> as much as they can. That, I think there's a Radio Lab episode about this. Cause oh, like, really? They went through it. Because up until this tick situation, 
there had never been, I think, what they said, like any kind of known meat allergy of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, so when this lady went in, this lady had this, she got bit with a stick. And they hadn't you know, really revealed that that's what it was yet. But she would go into doctors and doctors would be like, yeah, you're definitely not allergic to meat because nobody's allergic to meat. Yeah. Um, and then kind of after doing all this stuff, they found that like your body can't process meat anymore. Um, and it's it's, it rewires yeah. your immune system yeah. apparently so that you can't eat meat. Like I'm never going anywhere this tick <laughs> is present. If it's known that this tick has been there, I'm not going there. <laughs> It's, it's so crazy. But also, apparently, uh, things like the Impossible Burgers and, you know, like uh, those sort of vegetarian options. Are, do you know these burgers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are becoming more and more prominent, which has always been odd to me that uh, a vegetarian would want something that was meat-like. Like the Impossible Burger is supposed to ta- look yeah. like and taste like meat. Right. And it's supposed to bleed. And it's like, well, why do you want that? Like, why? I don't... I don't even want my burger to really bleed, like that, you know. Like, so why is this non-meat eater wanting that? But whatever, I don't. Yeah, people want different things. It's a crazy world. But yeah. um, the fact that that thing exists, it's like, oh, and that's on the rise. Like Burger King's gonna have it now, as opposed. Oh, really? To, yeah, like, that? yeah. Which is, I mean, I don't go to Burger King. I mean, oh, it's perfect. Every on my daily commute to Burger King, I will. Yeah. I will get an Impossible Burger. <laughs> Oh man, that sounds crazy. Actually, this is this is not related, but um, Burger King, man, I feel like Burger King is how are they still around? I feel like no one's ever at Burger King. Uh, I I don't go to Burger King. It is not my fast food restaurant of choice. So I understand the sentiment that you're talking about. Yeah, I feel like, like I still ever seen one there or ever think about Burger King. But I think there's a whole like cadre of people who are the opposite of us. Like, I think there are people at Burger King that are like, man, who goes to Chick-fil-A? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Or, or but who's the, out there the, going the, to Wendy's? That, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Wendy, yeah, Wendy's, that's, that's interesting, yeah. yeah. But I feel like Chick-fil-A always has a line through the, the drive-thru. So anyone who's driven past a Chick-fil-A has got to be like, okay, people go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I feel the same way about, like, things in strip malls. Like, if it's, like, a random strip mall on the side of the road... I'm like, man, there are okay. like five stores like, uh, that I would like, never go like, into. Like, who, who goes in those stores? There's also but, like, in, in that same vein, like these like third party like insurance companies, like Fred Martin Insurance, like in a strip mall. Yeah. How's that guy still in business? That's what I'm or saying. Or is it a front? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. what is going on here? Like, Have you ever been to a, a front business before? I think I've been to front. Oh, in fact, I know that I've been to front businesses okay. because in Colorado Springs, there was a, a a string of Mexican restaurants that were closed down because they were fronts for the mafia. Oh, my gosh. Or, yeah, it's not or the car, or cartel. And so literally like five Mexican restaurants were closed down. I used to go to those restaurants. <laughs> was it good? So, yeah, they were fine. It was like a cheap, cheap taco. Yeah. But they were laundering money, which Dang. is like so crazy. That is crazy. Like in Colorado Springs, just right down, it was probably like six minutes from my house. Wow. Yeah. And in Colorado Springs. That's like, like some Breaking Bad Pollo Loco stuff. It really oh, is. Pollo Loco Hermanos. Yeah. Dang. Um, I, there was this Chinese restaurant in Lithuania that I'd go to when I lived there. And I go with one of my coworkers. And we were almost always the only people that were there. And we'd be there on a, on a weekday. Um, but we gotta take a quick break because 80s bread is on the rise. Oh. All right, 
We're back. All right. Uh, so you had this. Uh, <laughs> this you went to this place, a Chinese place in Lithuania. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's really not much more to the story, but we were only we were the people that were only people that were ever there. Uh, I saw one other person there ever, besides the workers. And it was also in a part of town where there's not a lot of restaurants, so you kind of go out of your way to get there. Mm-hmm. And the guy would, it would take them forever to come out and actually serve us. And, but they actually served Chinese food. And it actually wasn't even good Chinese food, but it's really hard to come by in the city. I lived in Lithuania in general. So we'd go there, but I feel like certain that there had to be murky and dark things happening yeah. in, in the underworld of that restaurant. Um, I feel, listen, I feel the same way sometimes about coffee shops that aren't well attended. Like, or hmm. I'm like, how do you stay in business? Like, you're paying this two people to work here. You know, all day long or however however long, and no one's ever here when it comes to coffee. But then I think about uh, the possibility of side hustles, like the coffee shop might sell their beans to another coffee shop, yeah, sure, or things like that. And then this isn't the main place where the coffee shop is. It's not where they're making their money, right? Yeah. And so I think about that kind of stuff, but especially at like like a tea shop or a coffee shop or just like some like little. Like for me, if a coffee shop doesn't sell pastries and food and like things to upsell, I'm like, wait, but how are you gonna make any money if all you're doing is selling? Even though the margins on coffee are, are fantastic, I'm sure they have to sell so much just to make ends meet. You know? Yeah, I mean, I was actually kind of doing the math one time. I was like, okay, if you if you sold a cup of coffee and you made two bucks a cup of coffee, that's like that's not bad. Like that's that's your profit margin. But then you think about a whole day. If you had to sell like 400 cups of coffee to make $800 in a day, and you got to pay for like your rent and your utilities and your employees, and it's like yeah. you walk away making like 400 bucks a day, which is like to me, it's that's not that's not that much money. That's yeah, not a lot it's of money. not a lot of money. That's you know like for the amount of work, especially right, right. You just do a photo shoot that day, you know, like and so. But I I feel the same, you know, when people. I understand the the idea of like I'm so passionate about this thing that like the one coffee shop that I thought of the guy was so passionate about coffee and I, he said when he was he ha- didn't have any money he had a roaster and he had a bed and they were in the same room and that's his that was his dream to open up a coffee shop and he was just roasting coffee that's how he's making money, selling it to other people. And then eventually he opened up his coffee shop, but he didn't have anything else but coffee in it. And his coffee was the best, you know, that I had had. I was like, this is an amazing coffee. But I was like, how's he going to make any money? Eventually he started selling food and pastries and sure. all sorts of stuff, um, which makes sense to me. But I think about it in terms of my wedding photography, you know, like how serious we are about like, oh, I'm an artist and I'm only a wedding photographer. I think you've you've done this more than others where you're mm-hmm. like, no, but now I do other. I do, I do other, other things. I yeah. use my skills in other areas. I'm. A- um, yeah, I mean, okay. This is so. I did a mentor session over the weekend. Um, at a one-on-one. So, uh, this guy Nelson came out from Massachusetts. Shout out to Nelson for listening. What up, Nelly? Um, do you think? Did you call him Nelly? I did not. Hmm. But opportunity missed. Opportunity was squandered. Um, but this is like a real thing because I feel like. Maybe we are. We probably have already talked about this already, but um, I feel like for a lot of photographers, you will never make enough money to make it a career. It'll always be a job hmm. because you are always the one doing all the output and all the work. That whenever you stop, like the business shuts down. Like that's it. If you right. stop taking photos of weddings, that 
business no longer exists, and now yeah. you no longer have any income, and you got to literally do something entirely from scratch to start making money, mm. which is not an ideal situation. Uh, because you obviously want to, like, if you build something, you want it to carry on into the future. You want to make money somehow. Like, you don't want to spend 10 years building something, and then on the first day you close, that has literally has zero value in your life whatsoever. Wow. Because that's that's kind of sucks. Yeah, that part's foolish. Your passion's yeah. full, but your the practical side of it is, yeah. Right, there's no way to scale it. Right, not at all. Yeah, so I, I think about it quite a bit. I'm just like, oh, man, like, you know, you're not just like... I just want to make sure that I'm using my skills to the fullness of their abilities. Like, like yes, I'm a, I, I'm a great wedding photographer, but the skills in wedding photography are so vast. Like, you have to be so good at so many different things. You have to be a good product photographer to shoot details, and you have to be quick at it. You know, you have to be a good portrait photographer you know, to shoot your couples, and you have to be fast. You know, you have to learn to shoot in all sorts of different situations. You have to be, depending on how you shoot, you have to be a good street photographer to catch moments. You right. know, you have to understand your camera. Like, there's so many different things, and you also have to organize all these things. You know, depending on if you shoot food, you have to be a food photographer. You have to, you know, so the wedding photographer, even though for a long time they have gotten, um, they have sort of gotten the, the boot and been known as, you know, like beneath all the other art forms. Yeah. Now the good wedding photographers are really great at all the other photography art forms. Right. You know? Yeah, um, it's true. Like you have to be creative. And so now I'm like, okay, how do I use my skills as an editorial photographer or, you know, for like people have been telling me like, AD, I think you're more of a portrait photographer. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, like I, I love taking portraits, but they're like, no, your portraits, like we like them. Like we think that's what you should do. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's cool. Whatever. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, wait, maybe I should listen to that. Maybe mm. there is a side of me. I mean, I love taking different portraits. I don't, but I don't think about it because I'm a wedding photographer, you right, know? Right. And so, or even street stuff. Like, oh, like maybe I'll, I love my street work. I just don't put it out there. Like I don't necessarily think of myself as a street photographer. So I don't think of making it a monetary avenue. Right. Like, hmm. like in the future, I've always thought, oh, one day I'm going to show my street work in a gallery. And like, you know, I'm just going to continue to curate stuff. But right now I'm a wedding photographer. I'm like, wait, I have all these avenues of expertise. And so I think we all do. And how do we make sure that we implement those like we start putting them into action now, as right. opposed to like in fifteen years right. or whatever. And, and, the plan it's is. almost too late for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a. Uh, yeah, that's a good thought. Yeah, it's funny. We didn't even. Uh, we haven't talked about any of the things we said. <laughs> we <talked> about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was just thinking because we were talking about we were just talking about friends and thinking like, oh. What, and it, it, the conversation was had. It was like wedding photography being a front, a good, I guess, oh, a good front, a front for like for like all this stuff that we do, <laughs> more or less. But like, but yeah. yeah, it's just kind of funny. It really is kind of a front, you know, like <laughs> for the uh, creative mafia. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, speaking of mafia, you had mentioned that to me. That was quite intriguing. That I'm curious to hear more about. Um, oh yeah, when the mafia guy came to my house. <laughs> well, when I think about mafia people, he wasn't really a mafia <laughs> guy, but I think you know, like they're nice guys. But you're like, what's going on? Like, what's really going on? So remember we talked about that guy who, like, rode past my house. Yeah, in the Escalade thing. Yeah, in yeah, Escalade. Yeah. And I was like, okay, do I have to deal with this? Like, what's going on right now? This is in the in a similar vein. Because that guy, in my mind, he felt like he was in the mafia. Like, I was like, why is this guy asking me for money and giving me jewelry? Like, it was odd. Anyway, so uh, I have a big window in the uh, that, that looks out to the backyard of my house. 
Uh, and, I, and that's where I make my bread. And so uh, I'm there often just looking out of the window while I'm working on the bread. Gazing yeah. out the window. Yeah, gazing afar. So I was looking out the window and uh, I see a big white sort of suburban pass in my alley. Like I can see it because my fence, uh, I have a chain link fence for part of the alley. Um, and so he, a car drives past and then someone, this guy, no shirt on, just kind of like looking a little rough, walks behind the, uh, is walking behind the Escalade hmm. and he looks into the yard, but he just keeps walking. He doesn't stop. Um, but I know my bicycle is right in the middle of the yard because I just ridden it and I was going to go ride it again when I had that 30 minute break for making bread. I was going to take Kaylee for a run. And so... Uh, he kept, so I could see him once he passed the chain lick part of my fence, he then, the the van stopped at the brick part of my fence where it looks like uh, no one can see him. Mm. But obviously I can see him because I'm up a little higher. I'm right. looking out the window. So I see the van stop and then I see the guy climb the fence and just poke his head over the, the brick part and look into the yard. And Dang. I, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like, and so I made eye contact with him, opened the door, I stared at him, and I waved at him. I was like, hello, like, I see you. Um, and then he he hopped down. And so I was, like, kind of mad. And I think I was on the phone with someone, or I was doing something on the phone. And so I was just talking to my mom. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. And so I was like, Mom, I have to go, you know? And so I was like, Kaylee, let's go outside. And so Kaylee came outside. He's just like walking like he doesn't care. Yeah, like, he just, Kaylee he just doesn't whatever. know what's going on. Uh, I'm like, would Kaylee defend me? I don't know. <laughs> like, um, and so I go ahead and I put my bike in the shed um, and I lock it. And then by the time I get back to my front, to my back door, the guy in the suburban had already come around from the alley around the block into the front. And he came into my front fence. Like what? he opened the gate, came into the fence. And he was coming around the back, and he was like, hey, man, hey. I was like, and I was like, you know, hey, stop. Like, I, you know, turned on my yeah. alert. You know, I don't know what that thing is. And, you know, I was like, hey, stop. What are you doing? What are you And he's like, no, no, it's a misunderstanding, man. I just wanted you to know it was a misunderstanding. I was like, what's a misunderstanding? What are you doing? At the same time, I'm stopping Kayle, like, with my hand, I'm like, yeah. Kaylee, don't go any further, hoping that the guy sees that Kaylee is well trained and will think, oh, <clears throat> Kaylee. Oh, he gets sick of him for the Yeah, like yeah. I could turn yeah. him on because I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, not like I'm going to do anything. <laughs> anyway, the guy's literally like, he's on the side of the house. Like, but he was coming back to the back and he was on the side of the house and he was yelling something. He was like, hey, I just want you to know it's, it's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. He kept yelling it. And then he said, hey, man. It was uh, my son was flying his drone, and and it fell into one of the yards, and so we were just looking for it, you know. So I wasn't trying to do anything. We were just looking for the drone. We were just looking for the drone, and I was like, okay, like all right, man, I'll look for the drone myself, but get out of my yard. Like being very assertive. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'll look for the drone. Get out of my yard. He's like, I just want you to know everything's fine. I was just looking for the drone. I was like, all right, get out of my yard, you know? And so he left the yard, and um, that was the end of that. And I was like, okay, is he lying to me? Like, what? And I assume he's lying to me. Um, and I, I should have probably called the cops, but I, I think, like, a couple minutes later, I heard cops. 
And I was mm-hmm. like, somebody else called the cops. Like, sure. I, I imagine someone did because how? Well, you said this this guy was walking behind the escalator. How old was this this guy? That guy was probably thirty seven. Okay, so the it's, it's okay. not an old man or anything. He's just like a. No, no. Is so that the guy driving the escalator? Or the guy I didn't see who was driving the escalator. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so so wait, wait, so the guy who was jumping the fence was it, the guy who came back around. That same guy. Yes, the oh, same guy. The okay. Escalade and him were together. Gotcha. I know that because he yep. was driving slow, and this guy was just walking the alley. Yeah, I I think he was just looking for things he could steal, right, right, right. and going to put him in the Escalade real quick because no one would be able to see it, right? You and know? this guy sold his shirt off, right? Yeah, this guy looked sketchy. Like yeah. it, it's not like he was, you yeah. know, he was just a <laughs> just a random dude. And I was like, really? Why? Then why did you do the sketchiest thing in the world and pop your head over like this random part of my fence? In the alley, if you're looking for your son's, you know, it, that's not the right way to do it. Right. Like, the right way to do it would be to knock on the door or, you know, like, hey. Put you a know. shirt on first. Yeah. And then- <laughs> like, if you're going to go do something extremely sketchy, like, and then don't walk into my, like, don't open my fence and walk into my house. Uh, yeah. I'm also like, what, what was that supposed to accomplish? Was he, would- he wanted, I think he didn't want me to call the cops. Yeah. I think that's, I think he was trying to rob me. And he, yeah. He was trying to make sure I wasn't calling the cops because it was on the phone. Right. And so he probably saw that and he was like, hey, I just want you to know, I was just looking for a drone, looking yeah. for the drone. Yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, man, you're good. Get out of my yard, yeah. though. Yeah. That was, uh, it was, Dang. it was crazy. Bro. It is uh, crazy. Yeah. Bro, I have to go check something. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, we might take another break because AD is check out his pizza dough. And because it's not pizza dough, it's just sour bread. Um, so we'll be back in a gym. Uh, uh, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were just talking about how my, you guys probably think my neighborhood is very sketchy, but it is. It's a gentrified neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's historically sketchy, so it's economically diverse, like you were saying. Yeah. Right? So. Um, speaking of economic diversity, it actually plays perfectly into the the next segment of what I was going to talk about um, when I went to earlier. So I went to a city council meeting this week. Oh. First time ever. Um, it was very, like, parks and recreation-ish, where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm doing, like, local politics and... Um, like there was some woman who was extremely cavalier and some other person who didn't really care about what was going on. Or Well, in this case, everyone cared about what was going on. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. So um, are you familiar with the, the tiny home village that's at 38th and Blake? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, so our friend Cole is the director of that village. This village is for homeless oh, yeah. people. So this, and, well, yeah. This village is for people who are transitioning out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's um, permanent or it's it, the units are Residential units. They're tiny homes. They have a bedroom inside of them. Um, they're relatively small because they're tiny homes. And then they have about 10 or, excuse me, 10 or 12 units on one lot with a common area for um, showers, bathrooms, et cetera, and like a food prep area, like a kitchen in, mm-hmm. in the middle. So, um, And it's a really amazing initiative to kind of help um, deal with like the, the problem of homelessness that occurs in a lot of cities and, and especially in Denver right now. Um, and so the tiny home village, they the way they, they've been kind of doing this is they've been reaching out to um, developers who are sitting on land that has to get rezoned and asking them, hey, could we use this land while you're in like, doing all this litigation? So usually developments will have like two-year periods of time where they are waiting on 
paperwork to come to the city. Sure. And so they've been essentially like, and that's kind of been the model for the tiny village villages. Like we will, you know, we will use unoccupied land. Um, and so uh, that's, and that's been, I think worked well for them, but um, they currently are in need of a new piece of land. Sure. And so they had had a few places that they had reached out to and gone through and they kind of chased on every single possibility that was possible um, for housing 12 to 15 people and almost everything had fallen through the cracks. And so they had gone to the city and said, hey, we, we need your help because if you don't help us, like, like we're going to have 12 people that will go, they'll be homeless. And the city obviously has lots of land that, around town and whatnot. And so um, so the city proposed this, this piece of land that's in Globeville. And for those of you that aren't from Denver, Globeville is a is a pretty divided neighborhood and like physically divided. Uh, I twenty five and I seventy both run through Globeville, so Globeville is basically split into four quadrants, and so it's primarily been a low income neighborhood that was destroyed by the city essentially when they built all this infrastructure because the city like ravaged the neighborhood with like highway systems, and so pe- businesses want, didn't want to go there. Um, so Globeville has kind of been like crapped on by the city. Anyways, the the lot that um, that the city was proposing is in Globeville. And it's like, it's a 20,000 square feet of this lot. It's a pretty big amount of size, pretty big size. Um, and the tiny home village doesn't really have a lot of options. Like this is kind of really one of their only options. And if they don't have this option, then like people will go homeless and which is terrible. So our friend Cole, uh, they were Presenting before city council, and so um, it's like, hey, we want people to be there to represent and to rally. So we, uh, I went, and I brought honor with me, and Hillary came after work. Um, and then you know, I ended up staying, and then Hills and Honor went home. But um, so they have, this is really just it's like in Parks and Rec, they have like little random things that pop up, and people will like have like people who speak for it, and then they'll move on. Um, so for example, they'll be like this, like, hey, we're, we want to rezone this one lot on like Colorado Boulevard, and so they're like. One person would be like, I like the property, and be like, I am in favor of this. And then maybe one person would be like, I'm okay with it. Um, and like three people, maybe four people will speak and give their opinion, and then the council will vote. So there's two issues that happened first uh, that came up, and then there was a tiny home village in Globeville. Uh, and each issue before it had three or four people that were on the other side. Uh, for the tiny home village, there's 33 people that signed up to talk about this thing. On both sides or total? In total. Okay. In total. So 33 people total, and um, they started talking about the case at 7 o'clock, mm. and we finally left at oh, after 11 p.m. Because everyone must be heard. Because everyone, that? like, essentially, they have an, an hour courtesy line where they basically have everyone can speak for the, for the in that first hour. So everyone, everyone gets three minutes max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once they reach the hour, they kind of, like, said, hey, we want to hear everyone else, but we can only give you a minute. So you got to kind of, like, run through stuff. What what are the main like so, uh, opposition? Yeah, so basically here's points. here's the here's the opposition. So essentially here's the two sides. Tiny, tiny home village says we need land and we need space to go, and we were promised this land uh, in a different location that the city ended up like kind of pulling back their word on, uh, and so if we don't get land, like people will be homeless. And Globeville, on the other hand, is the opposition side of it. And the neighborhood is saying we don't want this here. Like we do not want people who are who were homeless or whatever preconceived notions they have about homelessness mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. And I get it because um, Globeville, this lot, which is crazy. This is, this is a long thing. I'll try to be really brief with it though. The, this lot has been empty for twenty years. 
In Globeville. In Globeville. Yeah. And they have been asking the city to do something with it. And the city's done nothing with it for over 20 years. And now the city basically like said, hey, we're doing this without the consent of Globeville, really. And, and now Globeville's like, we don't want this here. Like, we've been wanting a park. We want, like, a grocery store. We want something here that's good for the community. And now um, and now you're just, like, basically just, like, deciding for us what we want. Mm-hmm. So on Globeville's side, I get it. Because, like, realistically, Globeville has been crapped on by the city for, like, 80 years. Um and it's been like kind of like a place where things have been pushed out, which has been crazy. Also, this is insane because because Race Street is right next to you, right? Race Street's like one block over. Race Street, yes, yeah. yes. Um, I didn't realize this, but apparently, and I need to double, fact check this, but one of the the people who was kind of talking through on on the side of CBC was saying that Race Street was actually part of um, redlining. That that was literally the the boundary point for where people of color could live. Oh, really? That's why it's called Race Street. That, oh, that my way, goodness. Race Street going east, you could live if you were a person of color. Yeah. And west, you were not allowed into the city. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, dang. That's wild. And so it's crazy, like, all these, like, issues of, like, race, things that have happened. Like, it's like, um, people don't really realize how much racism Denver has over the years. How institutionalized it really actually right. was, yeah. And so from Globo's been low income for a long time. And so there's just basically the Globo's like, we don't want this here. We need Asheville's here. Give us something better. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's, you know, the fear monger of like, these people are drug of- drug dealers or sex offenders or all kinds of like non-fictional things about the the village villagers. Uh, um, but, but... Um, assumptions about people that, that are experiencing homelessness, like they do drugs or they're sex offenders or all kinds of things that you people just assume that they are bad people when that's not the case. Um, so, so basically, yeah, it was like an hour and 15 minutes of people talking and then like an hour and a half of deliberating, two hours of deliberating, uh, asking questions to kind of everyone. And then like an hour of like the judges, like talking through like their decisions. But, um, what did they decide? So they ended up deciding they voted in favor of the tiny home village to move into this space. Wow. Which I was, it was like, a, it was like on a movie when they, cause they basically went through and they like voted and it was like, it ended up being a unanimous vote, which I was very excited about. Um, but it was crazy cause one of the, one of the council women, um, Robin Knischt, um, I think, was it, how do you say her last name? She was talking essentially about this like economic, like she's saying, hey, like Denver is like crazy gentrifying right now. And one thing she said that was like that one thing we can't decide, we can't do is we can't choose our neighbors based on economics. We can't decide that someone doesn't make enough money to live next to us. Hmm. And I thought, man, it's like that. Dang, this is crazy because in this neighborhood here, and this is Whittier or Cole. Uh, uh, this is technically coal. Coal, yeah. yeah. Here in coal, um, I feel like it's it is gentrifying and it's crazy. And the yeah, economic and the prices dis- are crazy. Prices right are now. crazy. Yeah. And but the economic diversity is also crazy too. There's people that have been in these homes for 50 years mm-hmm. and probably paid twenty five, thirty thousand dollars for their home. Yeah. Um, now it's like six hundred. And now six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Same, yeah. Exactly. And so there's economic diversity. But she was basically more or less saying like, hey, you can't choose your neighbors based on economics. You can't say someone is too poor to live in my neighborhood. Hmm. Um, and that was like really powerful because I'm like, man, that's true. Like this. So all in all, it was, it was crazy, man. I, I it sucks because I feel like what and event. But I, I wish I would have spoken and um, but what I would have said I think was realized, and that's the fact that like. This is ultimately the fault of the city, more or less. Like, not this council in particular, but like the city as a whole, because they're literally pitting two marginalized communities against each other. People who are experiencing homelessness, who don't really have any, any options, and also this neighborhood that has been like historically low income and has not had any requests answered for them and has been like kind of forgotten by the city. And they're making them, they're making like one of them pick a winner, one of them pick a loser. And it's like both of them have been cons- like considered quote unquote losers overall in terms of legislation and like mm. the city like treating them well. 
So um, <clears throat> all, all in all, it was really powerful. It actually made me realize, like, man, if you get a chance to go to a city council meeting, everyone should go to at least one to kind of get an idea of what's going on. And I also, like, it's an election season here in Denver, and so you see all these signs are like, vote for this person, vote for this person. And now I'm like, oh, I actually know who those people are. Like they were there. Yeah, they're all there making yeah. decisions. And I was like, oh, I could actually see whose side I am on and who, like, was like, meh, I'm not, like... So sure. all I say, it was crazy, um, but it is relevant to, like, yeah, just the random conversation you had about uh, economic diversity. No, and, you know, part of me wants to say that it's really hard to uh, to really see both sides of that. Like, yeah. because the... I, I think we've talked about it, like, even on the last episode on how I understand both sides fully. Like, I'm... I get it. I, I live in a gentrified community. I understand that there are people who are looking in my backyard trying to steal my things, you know, and that I don't like that. Right. You know, and so I, and I don't want that. And I don't I understand that the people who bought houses in Globeville um, will now that there is a tiny home that might take their property value down. That's a big deal for the people for their whole lives. I understand that. I get I get why someone would petition the city to to not put this there in right. their homes. Yeah. Like it makes sense. I, you know, and so uh, I have to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most breaks we take an episode, but it's worth it for the dough. Got All right, we'll get back to our conversation about morality and ethics and gentrification okay. in two seconds. Okay, we're back. Uh, the bread has been flipped. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm just dropping in. Listen, <laughs> I get, um, I get both sides. I get that even because remember when um, this restaurant right here on oh, Rebel Kitchen? No, oh. Rebel Quit Kitchen. What happened with Rebel Kitchen? Oh no, I just said they closed. But uh, no. yeah, but I don't think they closed yeah. because of yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, it was snooze. It was the, the snooze downtown. Um, was right oh, next yeah, to yeah. Catholic Charities yeah. and all sort of the one at like twenty first and Larimer and so yeah it's yeah, right yeah. there on the on the corner and yeah. it's a big busy corner but the um, the the Catholic Charities is right there and so a lot of the homeless shelters are right there on the corner so a lot of homeless people are right there yeah. and they you know and listen I understand oh, man this is this is a really tough issue but uh, so I get it. Why they were petitioning them to not allow the homeless people to stand on certain corners because their businesses, people wouldn't go. Right. And so they were like, oh no, we're not, people don't want to come to our businesses because the homeless people are asking them for money and all this kind of stuff or whatever they're doing, you know, or worse, I don't know, you know, or, or even just trashing the area. So on that side of things, it's not like it, it makes sense. Like I get why someone would petition, like, hey, can we put them somewhere else? Right. Or how, how do we? figured this out um, because I honestly I had a really tough time with uh, with homelessness when I first moved to Denver I was very like you know when you move to Denver or any big city or wherever whatever you go somewhere people are going to ask you for money you know mm-hmm. and I'm a sap I'm looking everybody in the eye I'm a Georgia boy I'm like hey how's it going good evening you know like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember the same uh, pregnant lady was pregnant for two or three Years before I caught on that this is just a, a larger woman who was using that as a as a crutch to, mm. and she's looking in the eye so sweet and say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm 
five months pregnant and I don't have any money. I'm like, okay, here, take all of my money, you know, like, and, and so I was jaded for a long time. Once I figured out like, Oh, this girl isn't pregnant. Like she's just like, she's just scamming me. Yeah. She's just scamming me. And, 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 and a lot of, there's a lot of other examples where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, it just hardened my heart a little bit. And I read this book, um, called In the Realm of the Hungry Ghost uh, by Dr. Gabor Mate. I can't remember. I don't know why I remember his name. But uh, he's a Canadian guy, and he talks about, um, he talks about addiction. He talks about the, the reasons of homelessness, and he interviews all these homeless people. Um, and even going into the ideas of addiction, like why addiction exists and what I do like in my own life to, uh, to cope with things with addictions. Yeah. like. And I'm like, yeah, dang it. Like these guys, you know, a lot of the homeless population have done all these things to cope with hard lives or addiction, or maybe they're mentally ill or they just fell on hard times. But addiction is usually, or more often than not, a large cause of homelessness and homelessness. And for me, that was hard to wrap my head around to be like, well, you're, you're just an addict. Mm -hmm. Not that they're, they're addicted to drugs or alcohol, but they can be addicted to all sorts of things uh tv is one of those addictions that help you cope with your life you yeah. know shopping is one of the addictions that we don't use as we don't think of as a crutch as much but it's in the same realm this guy talks about all of these addictions as being in the same realm like you're all using things in your life to make sure that you you don't think about the things you don't want to think about right. and so some of the stories are so we're so depressing in that book but it made me realize, like, oh man, these are people too, just kind of going through, going through things, and they just took a different route than I did, and so it took me a long time to get to the point where I could say, I can't choose my neighbors, or like, it's you know, it's whatever their economic status is, isn't a big deal, or you know, not that I would have. It's just because it wasn't singular for me, yeah. like. It wasn't just as easy to say, oh, it's their, you know, they don't make enough money. It was like, no, there's a lot more that goes on. And then now I, I had to distill all that more to just understand that they're all yeah. just humans. And they're I, all just making, even the guy in the backyard that's, you know, whose kid is, you know, flying an imaginary drone <laughs> on a Wednesday. You know, <laughs> like even that dude, he's he's made some horrible, so he made some choices that, makes him have to do this thing where he right. feels like he has to make a lie to a guy about a kid and a drone while he's stealing bikes. I'm like, man, or whatever he was doing. Maybe it's telling the truth. But I had to come to a place where I understood that we were all the same. Yeah. No matter what race, creed, or color. Um, I don't know if anyone has creeds anymore, but <laughs> it sounds nice. It sounds nice, say. yeah. But, yeah, and it, it took me a long time to get there, but that book really helped understanding like yeah. addictions, understanding my addictions. Like I'm, I think I'm addicted. Like when I'm not well, like I'm not like, uh, like just in my full self, I will, I think I am addicted to entertainment or like, like TV. You're just like, like, I was just like, I'm out of the world for a while. Like I just can't deal with it. And so I will, I will watch, you know, end game. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. I don't have to worry about anything so I can watch a movie and I, and I do it. I, I see myself do it religiously. I'm like, I don't want to think about anything. So I'll, you know, and it's not a, it's not a good thing. It's an issue. It's, it's, it's an addiction and it kills me or it kills the person that, right. it, you know, but it doesn't help you live your fullest life. But 
uh, anyway, getting past it, I, I feel like it's a little off topic. I'm no, not, I mean, I yeah. think it's, it's relevant to the point. I just feel like the reality is that, like, I think it's so easy to, um, I think it's so easy to just assume the worst in the people that we don't understand. Hmm. And that you you think, like, oh, if they are poor or they are homeless, then they must deserve that. And I think that that is, I think those things are just un, inaccurate. And sometimes, like, there are life choices that can be made that can influence those things. Also recognizing that, and I think in this case in particular, it was like, hey, the, one of the guys that came up and defended the, the, the beloved community with the village was kind of saying, it's like, hey, FYI, these people aren't homeless. They have homes. They're just called tiny homes. So it's like these people have, like, have worked to like, get jobs and to, like fight for like, ending these circumstances that are, that are complicated. So, um, and so I think that was really, that was really cool. Yeah, but I'm also... <sighs> The, the glow, I, I hear that and mm-hmm. I like it, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. But the Globeville resident ain't no fool, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true, but let's call a spade a spade. They were homeless, they they were given the housing, which is fine. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying don't put them there, but a spade is a spade, you know? Like, they, they were homeless, and with the homeless population, I would really want to understand what the rules are, you know, because understanding. Because homeless people, there is a homeless network. Yeah. They know each other. Like, it's not like, oh, this homeless, this person's homeless, this person's homeless. Other people might come. And, other, you know, like, okay, how does that work? Right. And, and how is it regulated? Yeah, yeah. I'm so sure that was a big part of it. It is. Yeah, yeah. They had a, had this um, good neighbor agreement that they had created. Because they were like, there's going to be like a, a, a tent, of a village tent. You know, it's like, I'm just like a tent city over there. Yeah. And, you know, they have all, a lot of stipulations about, like, this stuff. But um, Global wouldn't sign the good neighbor agreement. And so no one in the community would like no one from the community was opposing it would sign this agreement um, that they were proposing saying here's what we, here's the the villagers saying here's what we want to do to be good neighbors to you and the villagers saying we don't we don't want to have a conversation about it oh it's that bad yeah. still um, that's too bad so we'll see where things end up going up but yeah it's all to say this is what's so hard though I feel like is like man for and this is where I think it's, this complexity is like people in the margins um, it's like for those that are in global it's like you guys know firsthand what it's like to be neglected and to struggle and to be like pushed aside by the city. Like, and here's a chance to like do right by these people who are also in that same boat to like say, Hey, we know what it's like. Come. Yeah. But they didn't put them in, in the Highlands. Yeah. yeah. There are empty lots everywhere. They didn't put them in Greenwood village. Right. They, the city put them in Globeville. And so that's, that's tough. Yeah. And that's where there was, there was some good conversations from the council about that too. Saying like, Hey, like this is not acceptable. Like we shouldn't be put, so they they said like hey the way we did this was flawed, and that the two people that shouldn't be at odds are are at odds, and that's our fault. Right. Um, I thought that was a, a a good onus to say okay yeah, but they still did it. Yeah, no, that's that's just words. At yeah. some point, yeah. like but at some point like, too, it's like that's the thing with all this red tape. Like it's like uh, it's taken them for. They've been on the hunt for a new place for like over about a year now. Sure. And now and yeah. they, their last place fell through because of the city, and now it's like. They had to basically scrap this this place together in like three months, more or less. And then they will – their release ends May 13th, and so they've got to be somewhere by then, more or less. And so it's like to the red tape of getting things approved and whatnot, it's like – it's. What? It, but yeah, to your point though, it's – yeah. Like, I guess what's confusing me though uh, – and maybe I'm wrong here, but why is it that they're in tiny houses anyway? Like 
uh, it doesn't seem like the most financially like viable way to deal with twelve homeless people or families or what? What's the? So they're 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 uh, they're in individuals. I think there's one couple among those. Um, like, why don't they put them in like the the high the high rises over here on downtown that are for the same thing? I mean, just the cost. It's twelve people. Like the cost of running the tiny homes is not the same. So the cost of running the tiny homes and is, the lease for the lot. The lot. The lot is lease for free. Oh, lots. Yeah, lease for free. lots of okay, are free. Okay. The homes are around ten thousand to twelve thousand to build a unit. So they're going to be a hard cost, about one hundred fifty thousand dollars investment that will stretch out over time. And so that's for twelve people. Um, Listen, I, mean, I, sound, I think it sounds like I'm against it. I'm not. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't. No, no. I think, yeah. they're, I think they're, these are the kind of questions that we're, we're popping sure, up. Sure, sure. Like, what, what was interesting, yeah. too, is they were talking about, um, uh, oh, they were talking about um, the building that was that said, the the lot that they're on now is sold for an $8 million profit margin. And they're like, people are donating to all these different causes. Like, literally, this costs $150,000 to get to get 12 people out of homelessness. And what's happened is actually they've had five people graduate from the program and they've gotten permanent housing and moved on. That's so, awesome. so it's designed yeah. to be like this transitional where they can sure. have an address and a PO box and all this kind of stuff like that. Right. They can live. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's definitely complex across the board. No, it's super complex. It's super, uh, it's unfortunate, but listen, at the same time, I'm super happy. You know, I, you know, that coal is, and are, is on the forefront of that yeah. and they're working hard to, fight homelessness and it's definitely needed in it. Like the people who are benefiting from that, the city benefits from it. We all benefit from it. So, uh, yeah, I think I, it did sound like I was arguing the point. No, I feel like this is a lot of, we do a lot of that in this podcast. We yeah, just talk yeah, back yeah. And about stuff. I don't actually think that they should not be there, but maybe they should, I don't know. I, but I understand both sides. Yeah. I'm just like, it's not so, not so linear. It's not like, Oh yeah, this is an obvious choice. It's like, yeah, this people should not be homeless. And if we have a means of uh, prevent that, we could, we should do that. But also these people that, are, that they've pitted them against are people that have also been in the margins that like, that that sucks. And, um, so yeah, it's just as, I think it's just as complex as that ultimately like people in housing and like taking care of those that are, are in need. It seems like it's such an easy issue, but it, like, oh, just help them. But like, mm-hmm. there's a lot more hurt than I think we acknowledge. And that there's a lot more complexities to situations than we acknowledge. Yeah. Um, but I think the I'm glad for the solution. I'm glad I think it's the right right call. And now it's saying, okay, how do we help support not only the village but also Globeville to make sure that Globeville can be re- revitalized as well too. Um, yeah. But wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a hefty uh, hefty way to close it out. Yeah, Woo. man, the uh, going to the city council meeting. City council, but that's more of the story. If you are in Denver, get ready to vote. Vote's coming up in a week, week and a half or so, next week, actually. Yeah. And if you want to be involved more in local politics, head to city council, find an issue, just see what's happening. Just It's good to know what's happening around us and how we can make changes on whatever side of whatever cause you're on. Yeah, it's easy to skate by yep. and think everything's always fine. Yeah. And then, you know, but... I, I, I was at 38th and Blake earlier today. I went to the natural grocers to get some yeah. flour. I didn't even think about the yeah. tiny home. It's easy, yeah, to not, to not look at that stuff, and yeah, to, uh, to not even think about it. And so it's, even though I see the tiny home every time I go that that way to 70, but it's uh, it's uh, it's tough. All right, listen, I'm glad that they're working on it. And yeah, if you're out there and you're struggling with anything, um, too, uh. Make sure you find someone to talk to. If you want to talk to us, you can email uh, me or Levi. 
<laughs> we don't have, have actual blacklight email, but yeah, email yeah. ADRI or, or messages on Instagram. Us. Um, we're always here. We're always we're always here to talk to you about whatever you're struggling with or whatever you're going through. Um, and thanks to all the folks who got back to us about our last podcast, our last episode. Uh, what fun! What fun! Yes. Um, this is also uh, this is our thirtieth episode. Thirtieth episode. Yeah. So, oh, uh, and we've got some things in the works for uh, for giveaways. Oh yeah. So I think we'll we'll have that set up by the next episode. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're already like, yeah, you can have this and that or whatever. And yeah, so we just gotta figure some stuff out. We just have to figure out how to like do the drawing and all that kind of stuff. But I think we're we got a couple giveaways, guys. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, a little incentive to listen to our <laughs> horrible voices. All right, y'all. This is the Black Lab Podcast. We'll catch y'all next week. Peace.